Welcome to the Theotech Podcast, where we have conversations at the intersection of faith, technology, and entrepreneurship. I'm your host, Chris Lin, and today's episode is a bit special because this is actually a talk by Theotech's VP of Business Development given in February pre-lockdown. He happens to also be my dad, Kim Fu Lim. Now, you're probably wondering, why am I sharing this talk? Well, it's because I think he articulated really well the why behind our translation and accessibility software called Spiffio. As some of you know, Theotech set out to make God our customer by obsessing over what God wants and working backwards to deliver those outcomes. Spiffio is one tangible way we are putting that into practice. Seeing God's heart for people from every language, we developed Spiffio, a software-as-a-service tool that generates real-time captions and translations for live events. With Spiffio, worship services can be accessible to the deaf and people in many languages simultaneously. And it integrates with YouTube and Zoom so that it helps even in our season of virtual church. So, after a brief introduction from me, listen in as my dad, Kim Fu, builds a case from scripture for why language diversity is essential to glorifying God and how technology can make a difference. If I were to think about the two characteristics of my dad that stand out to me, one is that he is a challenger. I think that even from his young age, growing up in Indonesia as an ethnic minority, had faced bullying. And what did he do in response to bullying? He didn't kind of shirk back and like a coward or anything. He actually formed a uh, kung fu club of all these people who would band together to practice fighting so that they could defend themselves when people would come up and try to steal their sandals or their backpack or whatever. That aspect of his personality carries throughout his whole life, except I think that the way that God transformed it is now he's passionate about fighting injustice and to see people who are marginalized, people who are taken advantage of or oppressed, set free. So that passion still drives him, I see that. But the second thing, his gentle side, is that, at least for me as his son and as uh, my siblings, as kids, he is such a supporter of us living into our dreams. It's kind of rare to have a dad who like believes in you so much that even when you think that you probably want to just give up, but he's still going to invest in you, push you, and drive you to do that. And so there's a gentle side that it's not just fighting the bullies. Like I see him wanting to lift people up and to empower them so that they can achieve things that they didn't think they could do. So with that introduction, I'd like to have Dad come up. Thank you, Chris, for these uh, gracious introductions. My talk today has to do with God's glory. John Piper is one of my beloved teachers. I learned a lot about God's glory from reading his books. Today's topic is uh, magnify God's glory through language diversity. Churches in America, as we know, are investing significant amount of money, resources, to increase diversity within the denominations everywhere. I'm part of PCUSA. I know they spend a lot of money trying to increase diversity. Their aim is racial reconciliation. The same is true in corporate America. And the benefits they reap go beyond racial reconciliation. As uh, McKinsey's and company pointed out in their recent research, more diverse companies are better able to win top talent and improve their customer orientations, employee satisfaction, decision-making, and All that leads to a virtual cycle of increasing returns. That's how they put it. That's the exact quote. Now, globalization opens doors for corporate America to expand internationally. I was part of Amazon. Everything that we do, we have to think about internationalization. They understood how important it is to internationalize their businesses. Millions of web pages are translated to multiple languages. 
training documents have to be translated to multiple languages. Customer support organizations recruit employees that speak foreign languages. Language diversity becomes a must-have in every thriving companies. Thankfully, many churches are beginning to embrace it too. We're not there yet. We have a long way to go. Let's begin our devotion with some important scriptures to understand why language diversity is so vital to the church. So I'm going to start out. I would like us to turn our attention to Isaiah. Isaiah, who becomes a prophet in 740 BC. The book consists of 56 chapters. The first 39 carry the message of judgment for sin to Judah, Israel, and the surrounding pagan nations. The second half of the book brings the message of forgiveness, comfort, and hope. It looks forward to the coming of the Messiah, the future kingdom. In chapter 56, verse 3, 6 through 8, God unveiled his grand vision of this future kingdom. And I'm just going to read it. Do not let foreigners who commit themselves to the Lord say, The Lord will never let me be part of his people. I will also bless the foreigners who commit themselves to the Lord, who serve him and love his name, who worship him and do not desecrate the Sabbath day of rest, and who hold fast to my covenant. I will bring them to my holy mountain of Jerusalem and will fill them with joy in my house of prayer. I will accept their burnt offerings and sacrifices because my temple will be called a house of prayer for all nations. Moving on to Jeremiah, who becomes a prophet in 627 B.C. It's about like 112 years later when Jeremiah was called to be a prophet. He wrote this, The people of Judah had no fear of God. They continued to sin even after Jeremiah's warning of the upcoming destruction. They believed that God would not allow the temple to be destroyed. They thought they were safe in Jerusalem. But in verse 8, this is Jeremiah 7 verse 8, God warned them, Don't be fooled into thinking that you will never suffer because the temple is here. It is a lie. Do you really think you can steal, murder, commit adultery, lie, and burn incense to Baal and all those other new gods of yours? Then come here and stand before me in my temple and chant, We are safe, only to go right back to all those evil again. Don't you yourself admit that this temple, which bears my name, has become a den of thieves. Surely I see all the evil going on there. I, the Lord, have spoken. Now, let's fast forward to Mark 11. We will see an interesting turn of event. Now, some of you probably remember the Palm Sunday, right? The triumphant entry. Jesus descends from the Mount Olives towards Jerusalem. And the crowds lay their clothes on the ground to welcome him as he triumphantly enters Jerusalem. Mark recorded that by the time Jesus arrived at the temple, it was already late afternoon. Jesus came back the following day. He entered the temple, but this time he began to drive out the people, buying and selling animals for sacrifices. He knocked over the tables 
of the money changers, the chairs of those selling doves, and he stopped everyone from using the temple as a marketplace. And I asked the question, why did he do that? It was supposed to be a triumphant entry, right? Many believe Jesus was angry at the merchants for extorting money from people that came to celebrate Passover. And for the longest time, that's how I understood that story. But when I carefully analyze what he said in verse 17, this is Mark 11, verse 17, the scriptures declare, my temple will be called a house of prayer for all nations. He repeated exact words from the words of Isaiah. My temple will be called a house of prayer for all nations, but you have turned it into a den of robbers. So I have a different conclusion now. I think Jesus saw a recurring sin, a recurring sin that both Isaiah and Jeremiah warned about centuries ago. Now, it is not a prophet who comes to the temple. It is the king himself, King Jesus, that comes to the temple. And he is not happy when he sees the religious leaders, the temple authorities, who rob and oppress the people, yet feel safe by hiding inside his temple. He must drive them out, and he did. Only after clearing the temple, King Jesus can now declare, my temple will be called a house of prayer for all nations. I believe this is what God desires for the church today. He wants every church to open their doors to include all nations and to worship together, not segregated by race or by language as we see today. But there is one huge barrier. The disciples do not speak foreign languages. Right? So how does God bring language diversity when Google Translate is not yet invented? That was the question I had last night. Hmm, that's true, Google. So we found the answers in Acts chapter 2. So when the Holy Spirit comes, as recorded in verse 1 to 12, Acts chapter 2, verse 1 to 12. He gave the disciples the gift of speaking foreign languages. And I counted last night at least 15 of them simultaneously, just like that, instantly. The disciples were able to speak at least 15 foreign languages. Let me read that for you. Verse 1, on the day of Pentecost, all the believers were meeting together in one place. Suddenly, there was a sound from heaven like the roaring of a mighty windstorm, and it filled the house where they were sitting. Then what looked like flames or tongues of fire appeared and settled on each of them, and everyone present was filled with the Holy Spirit and began speaking in other languages as the Holy Spirit gave them this ability. Verse 5, At that time there were devout Jews from every nation living in Jerusalem, when they heard the loud noise, everyone came running, and they were bewildered to hear their own languages being spoken by the believers. They were completely amazed. How can this be? They exclaimed. These peoples are all from Galilee, and yet we hear them speaking in our own native languages. Here we are, Parthians, Medes, Elamites, people from Mesopotamia, 
Judea, uh, Cappadocia, Pontus, the province of Asia, Phrygia, Pamphylia, Egypt, and the areas of Libya around Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both the Jews and the converts to Judaism, Cretans and Arabs. We all hear these people speaking in our own languages about the wonderful things God has done. They stood there amazed and perplexed. Who gets chosen to lead the way, to lead this multilingual language diversity? Not only God gave the first disciples the gift of tongues, he also called Paul, who used to persecute Christians. He hated Christians so much, but God used him now to lead the way for language diversity within his kingdom. So take the message to the Gentiles. If you read Acts chapter 9, verse 15, that's the exact call that Jesus asked Paul to do. Take the message to the Gentiles. Paul spoke at least four languages, maybe more. Hebrew, definitely, Greek, Aramaic, Latin. And I think he probably spoke Arabic too because he lived in Saudi Arabia for a while, at least three years. When God called him, he was like disappeared for about three years and he was in Saudi Arabia. By being multilingual, Apostle Paul was able to plant at least 14 new churches in many parts of Asia, Greece, and even Middle East. How does language diversity magnify God's glory? Now, I was taught when I became a Christian, it's like the chief aim of man is to glorify God. Right? That's the catechism question. So I think that's like question number one. If we place God's glory as our chief aim, then I like to suggest that language diversity has a linear relationship with God's glory. The more we bring language diversity into the church, into his body, the more we deliver the outcome that God desires, which in turn, the more we magnify his glory and the more we are satisfied in him, like John Piper always said. The more you bring language diversity, the more we're satisfied in him, the more we glorify, magnify his glory. While we may not be able to achieve what heaven will be like with people from 6,000 tongues worshiping together, we are one step closer each time. We add a language translation to our worship service so we can worship together rather than separated in a different building, in a different room, or in a different time. The opportunity to glorify God through language diversity is limitless. And as many pastors would testify, it brings tremendous joy to the life of their congregation. Climbing this multilingual hill is not easy. I'm not saying it's easy. It is super, super difficult to climb this multilingual hill. But the view will only get better and better because... What we are delivering is a foretaste of heaven as described in Revelation 7, verse 9. A great multitude that no one could count from every nation, every tribe, people, and language standing before the throne, before the Lamb. That's what God desires. That's the outcome that God desires from us. Not only language diversity, I really believe that the church needs to include the deaf, the blind, the hard of hearings. So that's what Theotech is all about. We want to bring, we want to understand what God desires, and we work backward. 
figure out how we can invent on his behalf. When I was at Amazon, Chris and I would spend long nights, right, just talking about Theotech. And Theotech was born at Amazon. It's a very lonely place, you know, to be Christian at Amazon. People are hiding their identity. And the culture is also very different. So what we did, we set up a group of Christians, believers, who would like uh, meet once, once a week on Wednesdays. We decided to focus on the, the leadership principle that Amazon has, right? And some of us were struggling if those principles align with what scriptures teaches us to do, right? So that's what we did, Theotech. Mm -hmm. Just stay there. We'll have, we'll have a few a little Q and A here. Oh, Q and A for you. Okay. Oh, Q and A. Uh, how many languages can you speak? Uh, I speak, I'll say, fluently two languages: Indonesian and, and Bahasa Indonesia and English. But I also understand a little bit of Mandarin. My dad born in China, uh, so I understood a little bit about uh, his dialect too. Could you share a little bit about your experience um, coming to America? For, for university, and you had to obviously take the, the TOEFL test, which is the yeah. English proficiency, but it was your second language. So maybe share what it was like, if you don't mind. Yeah, so I'll start with the TOEFL then. Uh, TOEFL was very difficult. I don't know whether it's a fair assessment, but it is necessary in my mind. So I, I flunked, I failed. Uh, when I got accepted at UW, I was required to take the ESL, which cost me, cost my parents more money to take the ESL classes, right? So, but I had to do it, and I just chose like one summer, just finish all the ESL requirements, right? And then re retook the the test. So yeah, it was a uh, it was difficult, and I think Chris always laughed at me when I told the stories. One time I came up to my professor, I was like, "Could you please speak slower, so, you know, so I could understand you." I mean, he speaks really fast, right? And, he was very gracious, and he told me, well, if I speak slower, uh, then the rest of the class going to fall asleep, he said. But well, why don't you come to my office hours, and I'll teach you. Okay, so thank you. Yeah, so he was very gracious. So. Question from here. Would you comment on how the invitation of bringing different people together, how that would enrich not only the people that are language deficient, but the people that are sharing? Yeah. What are your thoughts there? I just read a survey. It's an interesting uh, findings. 91% of pastors, when they were surveyed, this is by Life, Lifeway, right, Chris? Lifeway Research, said that they believe in bringing language diversity into the church. So pastors wanted to do it. But the congregation, when they're surveyed, right, like 82% said no. Yeah. So there is a class there, right? It reminded me the days when I was doing consulting. I used to work for Accenture. We had a similar backlash between the two groups within this client. It used to be AT&T Wireless. It's called AT&T Wireless. There's the consumer group and then the, the business group, and they just did not get along, right? The leaders want to go to point B, but they keep boycotting. So ended up burning millions of dollars and project failed. So I worried that that's, that same mentality happening in the church, right? Pastors want to do it, but congregation said, no, we don't want it. So then, eventually, the pastors get burned out. You know, they feel like they fail, they quit. So, at least with the Accenture taught me the way they do it. They have this methodology called business integration methodology. Basically, we bring in four core competencies, 
right? We don't just roll out Spifio, the software that we came up with is Spifio to bring language translation for whenever pastor speaks. Like at my church, you come to my church, you'll be able to like receive it in five different languages simultaneously. My church is located near Microsoft, so we translate into Hindi, Japanese, Korean, Chinese, Bahasa Indonesia, and Spanish simultaneously. My pastors just love it because she spent a lot of time creating the sermon. Now her sermons like uh, get multiplied by Spifio, by the software, right? But technology is just one, you know, one solution, one piece. You got to bring in the strategy people thinking about how do we bring the language diversity and how do we bring the congregation so they get excited <laughs> about language diversity. They're not going to get threatened. So the change management is probably the hardest aspect. When people get excited about this, they realize this is what God wants and they really want to honor God, then it's easier for the pastors to execute the plan. So change management is very, very important. Then the other thing is process, right? We got to rethink about process. So I met with the worship leaders, with the worship director, and talk about how can we bring language diversity uh, during the worship. Now, we just launched, Theotech launched a project called Project Pentecost. You can go to projectpentecost.com. And we have songs called We Are the Body of Christ. And that song has been translated to Arabic. So an Arabic person is actually singing that song in Arabic. I don't understand Arabic, but honestly, when I heard it, my heart just melts. I just cannot stop. I just cry. Seriously. So if you have foreign languages that you want to have translate that song, we put it in the open source public domain. Your church can use it. What else languages? We have Indonesian. We have Japanese. Japanese, right, yeah. We have French. So there's like seven languages right now, and we're going to add like three more shortly. Okay. Yeah. That reminds me too, there's, I think, a generation gap happens, like with in your story, and I've, I've gone to churches around here that are old, say, Japanese-speaking churches. The younger generation no longer speaks the immigrant parent language. Mm-hmm. Now you have like, you have two different cultures almost, same ethnic, but uh, <laughs> different yeah. languages among the same people, different generations, and I think even that we have to see how how to bring together even the generations. That's what God desires. Yeah. yeah. Thanks for listening to the Theotech Podcast. If your church or organization would like help living into God's multilingual vision, check out projectpentecost.com for resources. If you're looking for more hands-on help, Theotech also offers consulting services, which you can find at theotech.org mtc. As always, I'd like to thank our patrons for making this podcast possible. And if you enjoyed what you heard today, please rate and review our podcast on your listening app. And with that, until next time, God bless.